Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. Today we're talking about difficult conversation when the stakes are high. And boy, the stakes have never been higher. See you in a moment. Welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. And I'm Teresa Grodi. Yes, you got to be ready his for wife. that. When I send it over to you, you got to be ready for that. I'm his wife. No, yeah, it's, it's my, my wife. What? Yeah, and thank you for joining us again for another conversation here, talking about, you know, the little parts of everyday life that are opportunities for us to grow in virtue, grow closer to God, uh, closer to each other. Uh, today, we're going to talk more about talking. We've we've had a conversation about conversation in the past, but we've got some more thoughts we want to bring you uh, related a little bit of to the world today. But before we get to that, I'll tell you how you can support our ministry here at Awaken Catholic. Please go to awakencatholic.org slash donate and become part of the Awaken Nation, a group of people that are making this ministry possible through one-time recurring donations. We really appreciate that. But another great way to support the ministry is by downloading the Hallow app. Hallow is this Catholic meditation app. Um, and it's really convenient, really useful, really beautifully implemented. Um, I really love that I'm a person that's hard to sit down and be present to prayer and I can pick a time frame and let it guide me and remind me and bring you back to the presence of God. It's a really great app and you can download it and get a 30 day free premium trial subscription thingy, which supports our ministry by going to hallow.app slash awaken. So Teresa, We want to talk more about talking, about conversation. Um, I think we'll keep coming back to this because it is such a, a an ordinary part of everyday life. Uh, ordinary, everyday relationships uh, depend on the ability to have good conversations. And so it's something we return to time and time again. We can think about all this stuff, but we need to be able to bring it to one another. Um, our thoughts, our concerns, our ideas, especially with people that are different from us, that think differently, that feel differently from us. Um, and I, of course, I was thinking about this a lot recently. Um, we're in a, a weird time of year and yeah, time for our country. Um, uh, we're in another election cycle. So, you know, everything's heating up on social media and amongst our friends and family members. Um, we just saw a presidential debate not long ago, uh, which was a thing, you know, it was, that was something, um, you know, but more than ever, the, you know, the world is at a difficult, difficult time. And it strikes me that um, not being able to con- converse, to discuss things, to connect with people that are especially very different from th- than you is a, is a symptom of wor- the state of our world. But I think it's also um, not a symptom, but well, a symptom, but also a bit of the disease itself. Yeah, we have this this interesting like I think that if you look at our culture right now, hmm. For those of you who are listening back through this, this is 2020 and it's the presidential election coming up in November. Um, But I think when we think about our culture and we talk about conversation and having good conversation or building bridges within conversation, we immediately think of the volatility. Is Mm -hmm. that a word? You got it. Nailed it. (laughs) Like the volatile kind of like social media or lambasting or like intense people. But we also have this weird increasing silence and passive aggressiveness, Mm. like hearing what someone's saying and kind of just getting through the situation with them and then being like, 
well, I guess that person is not of my ilk anymore. Yeah. Or going to find somebody else who believes exactly what you believe and say like this person who I thought I could trust. Right. But yet we, we got out of that conversation and perhaps that person who had that conversation with us thinks, thinks nothing happened right. because we had a normal conversation. And now like there's this wall between you and that person. And perhaps even that person doesn't know it, know it exists. Yeah. And so that's something too, that I have seen just increasing in our society, our inability to enter into any kind of not even contentious dialogue, but just be disagreeing, yeah. Yeah. you know? So we have these two kind of scary things, mm -hmm. the volatility and then the like quiet, passive aggressive, yeah. Like I'm going to go back to my click now, right? You know, and you're not part of that click. And I think differently of you now. Yeah. That passive, you know, resentful silence that, I mean, the social media really encourages that, you know, because you're not speaking to a person, you're kind of speaking, knowing that a person's going to overhear you. And so, so mm -hmm. much of what is posted on social media is these passive aggressive comments that you're hoping the other guy hears. You're, you're hoping you that know. Facebook somehow puts it up in there, like they're yeah. screen feed or but whatever. Those, those two uh, situations, that's a, a really good way to put it. Like that's, that is where our world is. You have different sides on different issues, um, you know, different you know, parties, different religions, different things like that, that are increasingly being pushed to their corner and in their corner amongst their people, they're becoming more volatile, mm -hmm. you know, more, more angry, more, you know, a crisis oriented. Um, but then around people that we're different from, we're increasingly just being kind of sullenly silent and unable to connect with them. You know, and I guess one of the places I wanted to start this conversation was just recognizing, like, I think, like in my opinion, like this is, like the stakes are really high if we can't get better at this. And because any organization, whether you're talking about a country, you know, as we were alluding to, but also a business or a family or a marriage, it's, it's only as good as the ability of the people involved to converse, to communicate and really communicate. I mean, communication does not mean yelling stuff at each other. There has to be a real sharing of minds. There has to be a mutual understanding. And if that can't happen, that organization will fall apart. Again, this is true of marriage. This is true of family. This is true of, of an organization, a business. This is true of a parish, of a church, of a nation. If you've got a group of people, they have to be able to and proactively work towards communicating effectively. That is so interesting. This is not where we were intending to go with this, but you bring <laughs> up a parish. Yeah. And sometimes parishes can be some of the most dysfunctional places exactly because of that. Yeah. Like I've, I've worked at a couple parishes mm -hmm. and not that I'm not saying that the parishes that I worked at were dysfunctional, but like you can see how the wanting to be nice and not say things and not offend people yeah. is you, you can't get work done yeah. you know, just as much as you can't get work done if, as if you were screaming at people right. all the time or, you know, saying so in, in some ways I prefer the, the explosion. Yeah. Because then at least with the explosion, yeah. you can have a fight and have it all well, out. And we know this in our marriage. I mean, we're not, oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't have tons of arguments. We're not really like super argumentative people, but like it's happened a number of points in our marriage mm -hmm. where we had let communication go for too long Yeah, and things, you know, and it, it had begun to affect our ability to understand and sympathize, whatever. And what it took was 
finally one of us losing our tempers Mm -hmm. and spilling our guts and saying a lot of things that we needed to say, knowing that they were messy, knowing that they probably Mm -hmm. weren't fully true, knowing that they probably weren't fully fair, but we just had to get them out there. Mm -hmm. And then once they were all out there, we picked through them, we clarified some things and, and then we felt great. Yeah. (laughs) And then for months (laughs) afterwards, we feel like newlyweds, you know, but that's just, again, it's just true of any organization that its health depends on the ability to communicate. So the stakes are high because we're, at every level of our society, from marriages to uh, to the business, to the church, but again, I think today on our minds is the state, the country, like we are unable to have conversations with people that are different mm-hmm. from us. And so um, the stakes have never been higher because like, you know, what's gonna happen to our country? You know, what's gonna happen to our world if, as this continues? So. That's where I wanted to begin. That's the so the context here. But then the, the other, I guess, piece of context that I wanted to draw out for a moment is it's interesting. I think we maybe we can agree on that. You know, the importance of conversation uh, and in different organizations, the the ability to communicate. We can probably agree on the importance of that. Maybe we even agree on the stakes of not getting better at this as individuals in a society. But what then is interesting or a quandary then that arises is that we don't know how to make that better necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, like frequently, you know, we go through our lives, maybe recognize the man, I, I wish I could just sit down and have a good conversation with my wife or my boss or my coworker or my employee or uh, this, this fit friend or family member who's very different from, from me. Like, I wish we could just be like comfortably having a beer and talking through some of these differences. I wish we could get there, but we don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the weather. Sometimes it happens. Like we've had good conversations about difficult things with people we disagree with in our life. We know it's possible because sometimes it's just happened, but it's happened like a rainstorm happens. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. We don't, we couldn't recreate it necessarily. We didn't prompt it. We didn't ask for it. It just sort of happened to us. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, we recognized how life changing it can be. You know, I, I think of some conversations I've had with a, uh, an old college buddy of mine who's, uh, you know, politically, religiously very different from me, you know, but we've been in a couple conversations where, you know, it's like the, like the heavens opened up a little bit because there's so much connection of mind and we, we rec- we, we, fa- we explore and clarify so much of precisely where we, what we have in common and precisely what's different. And so then we're able to talk about those differences. You know, it's like, if we could do this, if this could happen more in our society, it would change the world but we don't know how to make it happen more. Mm-hmm. We just kind of walk around, you know, hoping that it'll happen. And, and you can, you allude to the situation where we're in the presence of somebody and we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and so much of a good conversation comes down to being in the present moment. As yeah. we were preparing for this uh, podcast, I was thinking to myself, the, like the phrase of like the church's, is it the church's definition of love? I'm not sure. Willing the good of the other as other. Like when you sit yeah. down to have a conversation with, with another person, mm. I find that the times when I am willing the good of the other person as other, yeah. as opposed to as my opponent or as someone mm. I want to convince or as someone I want to stop thinking this way or as someone I want to manipulate to right. do something like if I'm, if I'm really looking at the other person as an other mm-hmm. And as someone who I want the best for, I want them to be happy, even if that's something I don't understand, Mm -hmm. you know, or their way of happiness or their temperament or their whatever. Um, 
I really find that it helps me not make certain mistakes that yeah. later on I'm like, why did I say that in that conversation? Or why mm -hmm. didn't I say that in that conversation? Or why didn't I ask that question? I didn't understand. And now I've lost my opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if we have that in mind, that willing to go to the other, it also keeps us from not objectifying that person because that, that happens in conversation too. We, again, we only think of the person as their label or as the opponent or as their argument and not as, or the, as their vote. Mm, I mean, we're yes, in election season right yes. now. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, like I, you and I get frustrated a lot of times where we see people who want a good and maybe a good end, the same good end that we want, mm -hmm. but like it feels as though they're attempting to use another person or like to scare another person or to get somebody to do what they want them to do some other way than that person's right. free will. Yeah. We all feel this tension. We all feel this, again, the sense of impotence where we recognize the value, the need for communication, but how difficult it is. And so again, because we experience that sometimes we then do things that we regret afterwards, but we don't know what else to do. We, like we, we overspoke or we got angry or whatever because we knew something needed to be said. Um, but, um, but we have to figure out how to do that better. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So, um, I want to read a, uh, one of my favorite quotes from GK Chesterton mm -hmm. to kind of set us up for talking about this further. Um, let me, let me read it and then I'll, I'll explicate it a little bit. Um, this is from, Oh, this is from his uh, What's Wrong with the World is the name of his little book. He writes, The one argument that used to be urged for our creedless vagueness was that at least it saved us from fanaticism. But it does not even do that. On the contrary, it creates and renews fanaticism with a force quite peculiar to itself. This is at once so strange and so true that I will ask the reader's attention to it with a little more precision. It is not merely true that a creed unites men, nay, a difference of creed unites men so long as it is a clear difference. A boundary unites. Many a magnanimous Muslim and a chivalrous, chivalrous crusader must have been nearer to each other because they were both dogmatists than any two homeless agnostics in a pew of Mr. Campbell's chapel. I say God is one, and I say God is one but also three. That is the beginning of a good, quarrelsome, manly friendship. Doctrine, therefore, does not cause dissensions. Rather, a doctrine alone can cure our dissensions. Now, sometimes Chesterton's hard to follow, but I want to draw your attention to a couple key pieces of that. Okay, well, so what he's talking about is that um, in our modern world, we, I think we've thought, whether consciously or subconsciously, that if we kind of round the edges off of our, our views, our beliefs, our doctrines, we'll get along with people better. You know, if we, if we emphasize tolerance more, if we don't talk about the parts of our faith or our belief that are difficult with other people, if we just kind of keep that away from other people, we'll be able to get along with them better. That doesn't work. And that's mm -hmm. what you alluded to earlier to Teresa, that <clears throat> that doesn't, that's not working. It's mm -hmm. not working in our society. You know, as we keep away from those hard conversations, do we get along with better with people? Do we, do we love them more? Do we understand them more? No. We grow in this resentment. We grow in this uh, fanatical, um, uh, what was, I don't know, remember the word you used, the volatility of our particular <laughs> that position. Fake word? Is that a real word? It doesn't actually use, uh, it doesn't actually work. <laughs> so what's interesting again about the, this, this quote is that he, uh, Chesterton is making this claim, and this is what I want us to explore a little bit. And I'll, I'll read that bit again. It is not merely true that a creed unites men, nay, a difference of creed unites men, as long as it is a clear difference, a boundary unites. 
So if our ideas, if our beliefs are clear, if they're clear in our mind, and if we're able to communicate them clearly, even if they're very different from another person, that is the basis for a greater unity. And that's a really interesting thought because it's very different from how we think about getting along with people who are different than us. And we, we kind of have this instinct that we got to keep away the differences. We got to shy away from talking about religion or politics or where we're different. But Chesterton is saying, it's not the difference. It has to be a clear difference. And as long as it's clear, we can walk right up to that person's ideas and see them and understand them and find a lot of commonality with that person, despite the difference. Mm-hmm. I know I believe that's true. Like I found that true in conversation. I think it explains a lot of what we see in our world today, that as our ideas have become murkier, uh, uh, un- unclear, unprocessed, because we can't really talk about them, especially with someone who's going to challenge us a little bit, mm-hmm. our ideas get uh, fuzzier and more vague. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, again, in the end, that doesn't uh, make it easier for us to get along with other people. It creates a greater hostility, a greater mm-hmm. barrier between us and other people. Yeah, and I think in, in practicality, in yeah. a conversation that is difficult with another person, the best thing to do, sometimes I think we need to, and th- maybe this is how our education system sets us up, mm-hmm. we need to provide the better argument. Mm-hmm. But I would say if you're in a conversation with someone you don't agree with, you should probably continuously ask them questions so that what they actually believe mm-hmm. becomes more and more clear to you, which and is what them. you're saying. And to yeah. them, yeah. I mean, we've yeah. talked about that before on the show that um, like, it's good for people to get out their immature and unprocessed thoughts mm-hmm. in the safe space of a conversation with someone that they trust yeah. because a lot of times you can't, if stuff's just in your head, their impressions or yeah. thoughts or like maybe an overarching paradigm. Mm-hmm. But then once it comes out of your mouth, you have to think about it. You have to see how that other person receives it. Yeah. And if you get a, a twinge of something from the other person, you're like, huh, I wonder what part of them made that face. Mm-hmm. Was that the right thing to say? Did I really mean that? Did I mean it in that way? You know, like there's such, you know, I was having a conversation earlier this week about someone calling someone else's views like violent and dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, like, you know, if if this person that I I know and I love has these violent and dangerous thoughts, Mm -hmm. I don't want them to stay in their head. Right. I want them to, to, I want it to come out. Mm so that they have to realize that it came out and the other person had to receive it. And then maybe it's not just stuck inside their head. And um, yeah, like I I would like that stuff out so that we can discuss it Mm -hmm. and it can mature Mm -hmm. and we can come to a better understanding. Right. Yeah. Like sometimes we're, we're so uncomfortable with someone else being wrong as we, as we, perceive or as we, as we think about them, that we were, we're hesitant to, you know, even let them get their argument out there. We have to immediately jump in and correct them and show them where they're wrong and shout them down. Um, but again, sometimes I, I think all of us to some degree, maybe some, uh, more than others, we process our ideas out loud. Yeah. From you know, the person who has, I have no interior monologue and, and it doesn't so it's help. important for me to say right. things. And, and, you, you, <laughs> and you don't really have, you're not really helped in, cl- in clarifying and understanding your own thinking by telling it to someone who just nods along and says, Oh yeah, totally. You know, I, I heard X, Y, and Z and that guy's a bad guy. And those, that other party, the other side is doing all terrible things. Yeah. You're right, man. You're right. 
that doesn't help us clarify our thoughts. That doesn't force us to, 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 to challenge our own reasoning, to challenge our sources, to challenge, you know, the, the, the relevance and the surety of our data. We need, we need to have someone who challenges us a little bit, who provides a foil, um, we get those ideas out there a little bit and we're forced to put them into precise words. And then if they're not, if, if the communication doesn't happen, we're forced to refine those words. And so in that process, um, again, the, the idea is not here that you're, that in a conversation you're going into it expecting or even desiring that in that one conversation, you're going to eliminate all difference. You know, what the, the point of that conversation is to, is to build a bridge and to clarify a little bit. You know, think of what um, it seems to me that uh, you want to go into a conversation with someone different from you. Um, one thing is, so one aspect of it, I would say, is clarifying your own ideas and, and theirs. So you brought up uh, another term for that. What you brought up is like steel manning the other person's arguments. You want to hear their arguments, hear their ideas. And a, and a good practice is even to restate them back to that person and then ask them, did I did I get that? Did I restate that well? Is that basically what you're mm-hmm. saying here? So you said all this, what I'm hearing is this, 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 did I, did I get it? And then even really use your own intellect and try to make that their position, their actual position better. Right. So that A, you can understand it. Mm-hmm. B, you show them that you understand it. And then C, use your intellect and take it even like, take it as far as your intellect can take it. Yeah. And then have your side. Yeah. You know, and then let your side work upon their best argument. Right. It's so it's a steel man versus a straw man. I mean, mm-hmm. we we're, we're we're a world that relishes straw men. You know, again, that's the situation we find ourselves. We have sides getting further apart and creating bigger and scarier and more ridiculous and ludicrous straw men of the other side. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, again, that that eliminates the possibility for conversation. Mm-hmm. So again, what you want to try to help. Uh, another person do is clarify their own thinking mm-hmm. because you also can't argue against an idea that makes no sense, yeah. you know, and most of our ideas, most of the time don't make sense until we're forced to put them into words, refine them a little bit, clarify them, you know, really think, well, why do I think that? Um, and so it's sometimes not until you've helped the other person clarify their own ideas that you can even then provide a, a counter argument saying, okay, mm-hmm. now that we, we see what you mean here, mm-hmm. here's what I would say. You know? So something that that takes, mm-hmm is it takes a lot of trust. Yeah. Um, trust that, okay, so let me rephrase that. Yeah. You have to be in a conversation and not be afraid of what is coming. Mm-hmm. And I've said this before, but I really truly believe this. One of the best questions you, that adults ask, mm-hmm. that real adults ask is, what am I afraid of? Right. What am I afraid of? Because so much of our franticness, so much of our grasping, so much of our intensity in a situation that shouldn't be intense. So many of the decisions that we later regret, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, is because you're afraid of something. Yeah. You know, so in a conversation, 99.9999999% of the time, you are not talking someone off of a ledge. They are not getting ready to jump and end their life. Yeah, or push you off a ledge. You know, even if you're having a discussion about someone about abortion, Mm are they going to have an abortion right now? Right. Okay. If, if this is not the case, if someone's life is not in stake right. in this conversation, right now, yeah. 
we can take a step back. You know, I remember one time I was in the car with my mom and she brought up something about video games and our kids playing video games. Mm. And I, like we were driving from our house, like 12 minute drive. And I was like so ramped up and so terrified and like, and I was just like responding and you don't understand video games. And we got home and I look over at my mom and she's just sitting there listening, which is not my mom, by the way, (laughs) I am my mother's daughter. It is not my mom. And I looked at her and I realized how wrong I was because I was, I was acting as if she had like just yelled at my kids time to play video games and was putting controllers in their hands and switching on like, I don't know, some bloody gross tea, you know, like, but that's how I was carrying on in that situation. I was afraid it was, it was like a done deal as soon as we talked about it. And when we look at our current, I hate to keep coming back to political stuff because, Mm. but it's where we are right now. (laughs) It's almost November. 2020, you know, mm. but like if we're, we feel like if the words come out of someone's mouth and someone else hears them, they're contagious. Mm-hmm. And like that person has no brain. That person who heard it has no brain. They have no ability to bring in their own will and their own thoughts. And they're like, we just, we don't trust the other person. We kind of like take away part of their, like what makes them a thinking human being. And we Mm -hmm. just imagine that they're a machine that is going to be programmed based on what this person just, this crazy idea that this person just had. And we jump and we fight and we try to shut down. And in some cases we even try to not allow people to hear, you know, we try to make too much noise or shut off the thing like their children. But the question is, what am I afraid of? Right. Let me what add. if, what if we just let the conversation play out yeah. and it didn't seem like someone won? Right. What fruit could that bring? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see too many examples of that. I'm not sure we even, you can even answer the question of what fruit that might bring because we don't often try that. I'll tell you what fruit it could bring. Mm-hmm. Bob Marley's conversion. You know, Bob Marley converted to Orthodox Christianity from the Rastafarian religion. Uh-huh. Because, and I hate to say that I don't know what rites of Christianity, but it was like, it was Ethiopian. Mm. Ethiopian? I don't know. Um, But a pastor just listened to him Mm. and he earned the right to be heard over years. Yeah. You know, what if we were looking at a person in a conversation that we're having or this person on Facebook that we've decided prudently to take Mm -hmm. to private message and have a personal discussion? What if we saw that conversation as something that would blossom over the course of years? Mm -hmm. Instead of before November, right before right. the election, I must, you know, change their mind. Yeah, when's the last time again any one of us has actually changed someone's mind? Especially when we've done things that we do actually, or probably should, even if we don't regret. You know, it doesn't happen very often. You know, we feel good about ourselves when we when we spout off, you know, or when we you know just reshare the volatile political post. But when have we actually seen fruit come out of that? It's not fruit when when people who agree with us just nod their heads and get more entrenched and unthinking and passionate about things that they already believe. Mm-hmm. That's not fruit. It's not fruit when you when you own the other side or you troll them or you make them angry. You've not borne fruit. So when's the, the last time you've actually seen fruit come out of that kind of interaction? Mm-hmm. You know, I want to read because you were talking about like, what are we afraid of? You know, what's this fear that sometimes pushes us to 
to, to do things that I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would regret in conversation with people who are different from us. This is a quote by Thomas Merton. And he writes, the arguments of religious men are so often insincere and their insincerity is proportionate to their anger. Why do we get angry about what we, we believe? Because we do not really believe it or else what we pretend to be defending as the truth is really our own self-esteem. A man of sincerity is less interested in defending the truth than in stating it clearly, for he thinks that if the truth be clearly seen, it can very well take care of itself. Amen. I love that. Oh quote, my yeah. gosh! <laughs> you know, and there's so so many things in that. I mean, again, um, so often, yes, what we're defending is not the truth, but our own our own self esteem, mm-hmm. our own self worth, our own side. Do I trust? that God is pursuing that person just yes. as much as he's pursuing me and just point. as much as he's conquered me, right? that he's capable of bringing about the grace and the opportunities for conversation in that own, that person's life. Yeah. Like, do I trust that perhaps I'm just a tiny little seed yeah. if I handle myself well, right? and if I love that other person and will the good of them yeah. eternally, that God at some point can bring about something that's meaningful to them in their own life and in their own context that solidifies their faith. You know, my conversion wasn't in a moment. Mm. God had prepared me for that moment of conversion in many different ways. And I have to trust that he is pursuing each person like that. And I play a small role. Right. Yeah. That trust in God in, in conversation with others is so important because, um, we throughout our lives in this context or in any other context, we're always consciously or subconsciously experiencing this temptation to take the Faustian bargain, to pursue a good end through evil means. Okay. Now we tend to, we've heard that before and we tend to think of it in terms of big situations, you know, like big world changing situations like, Oh, I could save all these people. If I just did this, you know, this evil thing, We, we tend to think of these you know, storybook scenarios, but this is something that we experience all day, every day in our lives. Whenever I'm tempted to yell at my children to get immediate compliance when it's not necessary, like they're not actually going to be hit by a bus, but I want to use that unnecessary explosion of, of my anger and my frustration. I'm taking the Faustian bargain. I'm doing something slightly evil because I want something good to come about by it. You know, we do this all the time. And in conversation, again, we're not really, if we examine ourselves, we're not really trusting that God's in control because we feel like we have to force the good outcome, even if it means we uh, were rude, even if it means that we lie a little bit or we, we play a little fast and loose with the truth. And that's and it's another topic I want to get into a little bit too, about this, this notion of speaking the truth. I think most of us, we don't, and, and maybe many of the people that we look at on other sides or in the media, most of the time, or at least a good amount of the time, I guess I can't speak for, for everyone out there necessarily. We're not consciously and clearly and uh, lying in like this really obvious conscious way. Okay. Most of the time we're all lying in much subtle ways. A lot of the time we're all lying in subtler ways. Like whenever I share something, like for instance, I share a headline that I, I'm pretty sure it's true because it fits my narrative, but I don't actually have any notion of whether it's researched or where the data came from or if it's actually legitimate, but it fits my narrative. So I share it. And what I'm telling other people, whether I say it or not, is 
I'm pretty sure this is true. I have good reason to think this is true. Otherwise, why the heck would I share it? But I don't actually have that. I don't actually have any notion of when it's true. So in, in this very subtle way, I'm telling a lie. And we have this temptation all the time in, in conversation to, to over-represent our side, to exaggerate a little bit. I'm really bad at that. We all, I mean, this is, this is a, this is a human condition here. Like this is, but what's interesting about that temptation to, to do something other than simply, again, as Merton said, simply want to speak the truth clearly, simply mm-hmm. and clearly. We, we have this desire to go beyond that simple and clear statement of what we believe to be true because we're, we're worried if we don't do that, we might not be successful in this good thing we want to accomplish. And that is this fundamental mis- lack of trust in God, mm-hmm. that he's not really in control. He's not really pursuing this person with a more pure and powerful love than we could possibly imagine. We don't really think that. So we have to try to take matters into our own mm-hmm. hands. Yeah. Yeah. So many times when I'm like trying to make like, or I'm, I'm like looking at my own actions and like, why do I, why do I want to feel this way? Why, why am I trying to make this decision? I come back to like, no, Teresa, God exists. Yeah. Okay. So starting from that premise, yeah. how do I look at this situation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just such a touchstone. Yeah. In, uh, so for, for the medieval scholastics, you know, the Western civilizations philosophy, speaking really vaguely here, the knowledge, a definition of knowledge is justified, true belief. So justified, true belief. So we all have opinions and beliefs, but, um, what we call knowledge, you know, again, like one, one theory, one definition of what we're talking about there is justified, true belief. So we have a belief and for it, for us to look back and, and say that was knowledge, what I had there, it has to turn out to be true, right? Now we have an opinion and it turns out to actually be true. It has to connect with some reality. But for us to call it knowledge, it has to be justified. So again, if I, if I just say, oh, I think, you know, uh, old Seabiscuit's going to win the horse race today, but I don't, you know, like, <laughs> and I happen to be right. That's not, I didn't have knowledge. I had a, an opinion that turned out to be true. But what we call knowledge is, is justified true belief. So I have to be justified in believing something. I have to have reason. I have to have evidence. You know, I, I, I believe that God exists and I believe I'm very justified in that due to my experiences and what I've reasoned and what I've seen in the world and philosophy and all that kind of stuff. I believe my wife loves me because of all the evidence and the experience. Is that true? Am I justified? In believing oh, that? sorry. I kind of zoned out and okay. I was thinking of anyway, something else. The point being that, <laughs> yes, that I love that's you. what, that's what we call knowledge is that, um, but what's interesting about that, I love that definition because justification is not like a mathematical matter. It's not a, a matter of how much evidence I have. It's really a moral uh, clarification, qualification, specification. It means that I really, I'm justified in believing this based on what I've experienced, what I've seen, the reason they have all that, all that put together. It's right for me to believe this and to believe it in the with the conviction that I do. And then in terms of our topic here to express it with the conviction I do. Cause I think this is another way that in which we we're, we're often subtly lying is when we communicate ideas that were actually completely unjustified in holding mm-hmm. again, back to that, that example of sharing a headline. Like, am I justified in believing that the content of that headline? Mm-hmm. Do I have any evidence? Yeah. It, we find this a lot when people talk about Pope Francis. Yeah. I don't know who Pope Francis is. 
Yeah. Okay. And neither do you. (laughs) And neither does whatever American blogger or, you know what I mean? Like the, and so from the point of view of a historian, like Mm -hmm. the, (laughs) the idea that you could be sitting here in Ohio, have no connection to Pope Francis and be able to read his character because some nun friend of yours lives in, in Rome Mm -hmm. with like a couple other million people, Mm. you know what I mean? But, and this is what a lot of our information nowadays is based off of. Almost all of it. You can, yes, you can know things on your block reasonably. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even then our prejudices get in the way, you know, you can know things at your local library, you know, like who, who runs your library and what things that they bring in there or your local league of women's voters or whatever. But beyond that, man, you really can't know a whole lot with certainty. Yeah. We have to be really realistic about what we actually know and what we're actually justified in believing. Cause most of the time we just treat all of our opinions as necessarily true. And then we try to go out and actually, you know, interact with the world with that in mind. But if we were realistic, like again, um, how are the things that I I think are true? What's the level of justification I have for those? Mm -hmm. And then how should you treat that person? So say you're having a conversation with somebody who you don't know. Say you Mm -hmm. get to sit down and have a conversation with Pope Francis Mm -hmm. after you've heard all kinds of things about him. What, what duty, Mm -hmm. What are justice? I don't know. You're you're the virtues person. You can Duty, put this justice. into good. Go for when it. you sit down in front of another person, yeah, who you've heard rumors about, mm-hmm. you have a duty to treat them as if you only know them, right? Your own your own encounter with them. And this is I got off um, social media for about a month, mm-hmm. sometime during the coronavirus thing, because I realized that when I went back to the people who I am actually in communion with, like when our, our community friends that we see on a weekly basis that our kids play with and things like that, I didn't want to have the baggage of social media. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be like, I wanted to pick up my conversation with them where it left off fresh yeah, and not be like, you shared this thing and you do this and you feel this way about masks and this thing, you know, like I didn't want any of that. And so I shut it all off Mm -hmm. because I wanted to come to each one of the people that I actually know as if we had just hung up the phone, didn't see each other, picked it back up again, you know, because that's my duty to them. It's not my duty to be like snooping around their profile things. You know, it's my duty to pick up that friendship Mm And give them the benefit of the doubt of yeah. being my friend. Yeah, that's I think that's true, and it's just to try to operate that way. It's it's true because I think if we're really honest with ourselves, again, most of our information is of this sort. You know, um, we don't we only have an opinion, but there's very we don't really have a lot of data or justification for believing it. And that doesn't mean it's not true. And that doesn't mean we don't hold the opinion, but we have to be realistic about um, we could be wrong. You know, or, or our conception of this, of this thing could be off Um, because, you know, truth is something out there and it's only insofar as we're connecting realistically with that thing out there that it's true. Also, it's, I think it's helpful to think of different types of knowledge. You know, we can have very sure and confident knowledge of like eternal unchanging principles, Mm -hmm. you know, logic and morality. Like it's two plus two must equal four. 
in any possible universe. Mm-hmm. You can't even imagine two plus two equaling something else because it, it, it contradicts the logic of what the meanings of those words. You can, just like you can't um, imagine a, um, a married bachelor is logically contradictory because in the definition of bachelor is an unmarried man. So you can't have a married bachelor again. Um, we can know that murder is always wrong because it's there in the definition. We know that kind of thing. We can imagine there's no situation in which murder is not wrong. So there are permanent unchanging ideas, ideals, values, morals, that kind of stuff that we can all come to know. We can be really confident about, but how confident can I be about an event that happened across the country with weird camera angles and I wasn't there and everybody has a different interpretation of it. I can't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. And so the only right relationship to that event is one of caution. Like I, I don't, I wasn't there. I don't really know that happened and I should never act as if I'm really confident. Um, I'm, cause I'm not justified in, in that confidence. And that's true again for other people, their internal lives. Like we can know what they said, but we can never know what's in their heart, what they mean necessarily. Mm-hmm. We have that, we have to walk, we have to tread yeah. carefully there. Yeah. I remember like probably one of the, the biggest lessons of my life, um, was trying to become a presidential biographer. Mm. Okay. So I'm a historian yeah. and I wanted to focus on president, the presidents, the United yeah. States presidents when I was in my undergrad and then eventually into my graduate work. But it is so humbling to have your bank of evidence about this person mm-hmm. and then be like, well, if somebody had my journals, if someone had, you know, my next door neighbors, you know, anecdotes about me, right? they wouldn't even come close to scratching the surface of who I am. Right. You know, and it's, it's, it's like you're, I mean, I, I always joke that I'm a historian, not a journalist. And it makes me so uncomfortable that journalists have to produce news like constantly, con- yeah. well now constantly, but even before, like for every newspaper every mm-hmm. day, it was just like, this is so uncomfortable because as a historian, I might take 10 years to write about something. And then as I'm publishing it, I'm just like, Oh Lord, I hope I'm not misleading anyone. Like, I hope none of this is wrong, you know? And I, I do take that to almost every situation. Now what mm-hmm. I learned there, that humility that I learned there, um, try attempting to be a presidential biographer is just that there's so much we can't know. Right. We can't know. Yeah. And I think another piece that we have to insert in here is again, building on this, this notion of being realistic about what we know and what we don't know, you know, holding fast to the real, the clear eternal unchanging things, but keeping a loose grip on events and people and their inner lives, because it's just beyond uh, are the realm of what we can know well, especially if we're not actually in communion. The closer we are in communion with a person, the more insight we have into inner lives. But if we're not close to them, then we don't have anything. So another piece of this, I think, is just recognizing how differently the world can look to another per- can to another person mm-hmm. different from us based on their background, their, up- their upbringing, the news stations they listen to, um, you know, their temperament, so many other things about them. We just have to recognize that we may see the world clearly and we might be right, but the world may look so different to them. And so like, I, I just, I don't think we, I think we really underestimate how starkly different the world can look to someone, especially when we're talking about things that none of us directly experienced. Again, people, events, parties, things out there, um, that all can look so different to someone because we're all receiving different sources of data on that. 
And because that's the case, we have to perceive these conversations with a lot of patience because just as it, uh, a whole lot went into constructing the world in your mind of what's mm-hmm. going on out there. A whole lot went into theirs and it's a slow process to begin to disassemble that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. another practical as we wrap this up. So mm-hmm. we, we've done a few practicals like yeah. ask questions to clarify their point, to clarify mm-hmm. Steel your man, the arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Ask of myself. What am I afraid of? And yeah. maybe you could even ask the other person. What are we like? What are we afraid of? Yeah. You know, like, let's get that fear out there. Really, yeah. But, you know, and, and, oh, shoot, I lost it. Sorry. Darn it. Darn no, it was me that lost it. It wasn't well, you. Let me, That's okay. You talk, and if it comes you, back, I'll yeah, just interrupt you. you. Well, <laughs> and, and, uh, let me run back through some of the things. So we, we talked about that. We talked about, I think we need to be very realistic about what we actually know and what we don't know. That's what we were just mm-hmm. talking about. You know, we need to be able to and, and ready to expect to get to that point early on in a conversation where we say, you know, that's a, I don't I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to have to go look that up. I'm going to think about that some more rather than doubling down and saying, no, I, I know that's the case. I definitely read a headline about that someplace. We have to be, be we have to grow in humility. We have to have a, a loose grip on those things that we we aren't really sure of. And that's a lot in our lives. Um, I think another, another practical here, um, and again, this gets back to where we were in the beginning, uh, inter- thinking in terms of clarifying positions and speaking clearly, again, Chesterton in that quote and the quote from Merton, recognizing that the, the tool, the medium for this exchange, this connection is the language itself and language, uh, as a medium has deteriorated, deteriorated a lot in our society. Like what words mean how we use them in a common way. In fact, actually the opposite has happened in our society a lot where words are weaponized, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, labels, slogans, Mm -hmm. you know, really loaded terms that don't really actually mean what they say. Yeah. There's so many things nowadays where like, I feel like I, you say a word like woke, you know, when I say woke, I think like Plato's the cave allegory. (laughs) I'm like, and I'm like, that's not what people think right now. So I, I did remember. Hmm. Go ahead what my practical advice is, yeah. is read a book with someone mm. because you were saying like, you, you can't even imagine all the context that has gone into where this person's brain is now, mm. where your brain is right now. Yeah. And sometimes I think that if you can sit down and read a book, even if it's their book, even if you can see it and say like, we have completely different views on abortion, I'm going to read your book. Mm. And we're going to read it together mm-hmm. and then we'll bring it to the discussion yeah. um, because then you're creating a common instead of just two arguments at each other. Mm-hmm. You're creating a common experience right. of discussing these ideas together. It gives you like a common battle, not a battlefield, like a common ground to, mm-hmm. to start from. Right. Um, especially if if you're using their, you know, their side, yeah. I hate to say that it's literature, yeah. because then a, I mean, you're, you're rolling a lot of things into one, like right. you're steel man, you're going to steel man their arguments yeah. because you're on their turf. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good suggestion. And again, it fits with this notion of clarifying and rebuilding our language, because if you start with, you know, a, a quote or a passage and we read that, well, then that sets you up perfectly to say, okay, listen, you use this term capitalism or racism or logic, or morality, or murder, or whatever, all these <laughs> other loaded terms in our society. And you can say, okay, when, what do you actually mean? What's your definition of that? Because it's probably a lot different than my definition. Mm-hmm. And if we have different definitions, communication can't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to clarify. And so, so, so many times we're, we're substituting general, uh, 
general labels for very complex realities. Like you're a Republican. Therefore I know everything you think and what you mean and all that. And I don't need to No, we have to break that apart. What do you actually think about all these issues? So we have to dig down with people. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to, I would want to say here, there's, there's so many ways we could go uh, with this. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about the virtues, you know, there's so many virtues that play in this and holding yourself back in conversation, proceeding prudently, you know, willing the good of the other person, the justice of that and everything. So and we'll keep revisiting this because I think it's such an important general topic. But I guess the last thing I wanted to say is, um, again, we're all in this situation where we know this needs to happen, but it doesn't happen. And I think we need to have the conversation about that. Like we need to go to maybe friends and family members. And before we talk about the issue, we need to say, let's create the context for real conversation here. Let's talk about the fact that we can't talk about how divided we are and how suspicious we are of one another because we can't actually bridge the gap and talk. You know, we we need to somehow find a way to, to create the context with other people to say, listen, I know we're very different, but we need to be able to connect and communicate. So let's bring one of these things to the table and I want to hear you. I want to hear your side and then I want to restate it to you and I want you to tell me if I did a good job and let's, let's dig in from there. Um, but instead of like waiting around for these things to happen, let's proactively try to make them happen more often. That's what I want to say. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Babe. Okay. Oh my gosh. When we start talking about talking, we talk way too much. I know I had to point at the watch a couple times. <laughs> it is time. Well, if you made it this far, uh, and go actually, ahead. so yes. leave a comment. Okay. If you have any strategies for conversation, mm-hmm. um, please leave a comment because we will revisit conversation again. And if you think that there's a great guest that we should have on to talk about conversation, um, I watched Andrew Reinhardt's physically spiritual episode with Dr. Greg Bataro. And I'm like, I wonder what it would take for Dr. Greg Bataro to come on and talk to us about conversation. Yeah. Especially <laughs> we'll with see. the parts you mentioned. We're not yeah. as cool as Andrew. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if he'll want to come on our show, but anyway, anyway as you said, yeah, yeah, let us know what go. you think yeah, in, in the comments, <laughs> etc. cetera. Uh, and again, thank you for joining us for this episode. As I said at the beginning, again, if you like what we're doing on this show or this channel, this uh, ministry, this apostolate, please go to awakencatholic.org slash donate and join the Awaken Nation. Uh, one time a recurring donation is a, a really helpful to this ministry. We really appreciate it. Uh, but also you can download the Halo app by going to hallow.app slash awaken and getting the free 30 day premium subscription, uh, which supports our ministry as well. We have a partnership with them and it's a great app. We use it here at Awaken Catholic. I've been using it every morning the last couple of weeks. It's, it's a really well implemented and beautiful app to bring some quiet and some space uh, to your morning meditation. So check that out. And once again, thank you for joining us for Elevate Ordinary in this conversation about conversations. Uh, We'll see you again next time. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app/awaken.